1739, a man named John Wesley, who's become one of my uh, spiritual heroes in the faith, who was a pastor and evangelist, um, was kicked out of the Church of England. And he was a pastor. His dad was a pastor, and so as he followed in his father's footsteps. He became a pastor in what was the organized Church of England, and he was kicked out. And the reason he was kicked out is because the Church of England started to get very elitist. In order to go to the Church of England, you had to have the right last name, you had to have the right pocketbook, and you had to have the right associations. And when that wasn't happening, uh, John Wesley was standing against that, and so they asked him to get be gone and get out of the church, and so he did. And in an amazing way, he went and he began to preach on the street corners, and he began to preach in the fields, and he made this amazing statement. He said, If they're going to kick me out, that's fine, because the world will become my parish. The world will be my parish, and that's exactly what happened, because he went north uh, from London to a town in Bristol, which was a working-class poor community, and he began to minister there and preach in different spots, and it was a coal mining town. And there was lots of coal miners, and so he would go, and, and when the coal miners had a break, they would actually come to hear Wesley preach because he had, on, when he was preaching, people were just drawn to what he was saying. This happened several different times, and then eventually one afternoon uh, when the coal miners were on break, they actually shut down the mines, and 30,000 people came to hear John Wesley preach in this open field. 30,000. No microphones, no technology. And they were drawn by what he was saying. And one of the things they say about that field meeting, they call it the white streaked meeting. And the reason they call that is by the time John Wesley was done preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ to all these coal miners, as they walked by, you could see streaks coming down their eyes where the tears broke through the residue of the coal mine because God was reaching into the heart of these people. And as he is transforming their hearts, he began to transform their families and he began transforming this city. And two things happened as a result of that meeting. One, a huge revival broke out throughout England and went into Europe and eventually came to the United States where many, many people were asking God to not just be this religious force, but come into my life personally and be my personal savior. And the second thing that happened as a result of that meeting is the denomination known as the United Methodist was born. And John Wesley started the Methodist denomination. And it all started because he was kicked out of a church because he refused to say the church is for the elite. Fast forward 100 years. A man named William Booth who would go on eventually to start the Salvation Army was kicked out of the Methodist church that John Wesley started. And you know why he was kicked out? Because he was bringing poor and those desperate into the church meetings, and the church didn't like it. And so because they became too elite, they became too standardized. And he would even, John Booth would, uh, William Booth would wait until the songs started and the service began because he figured out it was hard to get Uh, them to stop it and then he'd open a side door and bring in those who are uh, poor and those who were disadvantaged and they eventually kicked him out of that the very denomination that John Wesley started because of the injustice 
now was kicking out somebody else. I share this story not to pick on any denomination because every single denomination, even every single church who's not part of a denomination, has some sort of history where they blew it. But the reason I bring this up is to show the fact that as a church, we are so prone to drift off of the things of God. We are so prone to drift off of the things that really, really matter, the things that really, really break God's heart. And so we need to regularly be coming back to God's word, regularly be coming back to who he is and say, God, what is on your heart? What are the things on your heart? Because we don't want to drift away from the things that are on your heart, even though we are prone, so prone to do that. The church of Jesus Christ is prone to drift away from something that is close to God's heart. And one of the things that we are prone to drift away from are the injustices of this world. The things that we see happening around us, we can get so absorbed with the here and now of our own lives that we forget to be outward focused. We forget to look outside ourselves to see what is it, God, that you want us to do in the communities we live in and the world that we inhabit. And that's why I'm thankful for this series called Justice for All, where we're reawakening to our minds and our hearts the things that are on the heart of God. We're reawakening things that matter to him that's easy for us in our busy, crazy lives to just step aside and forget And caring for those affected by injustice and poverty can sometimes intentionally and unintentionally escape us as we're just trying to move on with our lives in this world that we live in. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to give us three things that will help guard us against this drift. The three things I want to give us, first of all, is I want to give us an anchor. I want to give us an anchor that's going to keep the church focused on the things that are matter to God. The second thing I want to give us is I want to look at God's heart. What's his heart for one particular injustice I want to talk about today that's going to captivate us and motivate us? And finally, I want to give us some actions that we should take so that we could be a church that's on the move with these things, not a church that's retreating and becoming self-absorbed. So before I dive in, that's just a little thing about preaching. Um, There's Lots of different types of preaching, uh, but I want to talk about two types this morning. Uh, First, I want to talk about what's called expository preaching. Expository preaching is kind of what we do regularly here at Crossview Church. It's kind of our bread and butter. And in, in expository preaching, what we do is we start with a text of the Bible, and then we apply that text to our lives. We begin with the Bible, and then we get it to our lives, text to our lives. Uh, There's another type of preaching that's called topical preaching. And in topical preaching, we start with an issue in our life, and we go to the text. And we say, what is the Bible, what does God have to say about this particular issue? And that's kind of what we've been doing the last few weeks around here and what we're doing today, is we're looking at this issue of of injustices in our world, and we're saying, God, as we go to your word, what is it about this that's on your heart? And so our regular practice here across these expository, but every now and then we will do topical. Either way, we're going word to life or life to word, and it's really, really important because this is what has to guide our practices in life. And so let's dive in with that explanation and look at first this anchor. What is our anchor? The anchor 
that can help the church to stay focused on encountering and engaging the world and fighting against the injustices is this passage that comes from Genesis chapter 1, 26 to 27. These verses say this. Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. They will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, the whole earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. So God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. Every single human being is made in the image of God. Every single human being, regardless of their culture, regardless of what they believe in, regardless of where they live, regardless of their upbringing, regardless of what their actions are, every single human being is made in the image of God, and that has to anchor any action the church does going forward. Regardless of where their circumstances are, God values deeply every single human being. And I believe God wants this verse, this concept of humans made in his image to be the anchor that will push us towards encountering these injustices. His church will be motivated to Christ-like service in the world when we grab onto this anchor This idea that human life is inherently valuable because human beings are made in God's image has pushed the church to fight against injustices in our world like poverty, slavery, addictions, human trafficking, abortion, unbelief, and on and on and on. These are things that the church must take action on. These are things that the church can't just ignore and say, if there's injustices there, we're going to go on our way and just sing songs and praise God. The church can't make that disconnect. God has placed us here and called us in this day and age, in this time and place, to engage this world we live in with the things that break his heart. And one of the things that will keep us from drift is when we anchor ourselves in the fact that every human being is made in the image of God. Every human being has value. Every human being has dignity. Every human being is made in God's image, created by him as a masterpiece that he longs to bring close to his heart. And we need to view humankind, the human race, through that lens. It'll give us an anchor. Something else that will help us in this fight is to know God's heart. How do we know God cares for these injustices that we're looking at? How do we know what God says about these things? Well, I want to take a look. Today, I want to focus on one particular injustice, and that's the injustice of poverty. You may have gathered from coming in the church if you saw the display that today is Compassion International Sunday. Uh, One day a year we kind of set out, well actually two Sundays a year we set out as a focus on one of our partners, Compassion International. Compassion International is an organization that is global, it's all over the world, and it engages this issue of poverty in a way few organizations do. I love the integrity, the professionalism, the way they go about it, the excellence they take to bring God glory in doing what their uh, mission statement is, releasing children from poverty in Jesus' name. 
That's what they want to do. They want to be about releasing children from poverty in Jesus' name. And so with that theme, we're going to talk more about them in a minute, I want to just focus on this injustice of poverty. Poverty in our world, in our community as well, is on the global scale. Um, But I want to look at what is God's heart towards this injustice of poverty? What does God think about it? What is God's reaction towards it? So the first one we already discussed, God's heart, is that every person is created in his image. So God values every single person. I covered that enough. Number two, God does not desire that anyone would live in poverty. Sometimes we think that God is just okay with people living in poverty. That's just how it is because someday he's going to come and poverty be gone, and that's true. But in the meantime, between his going to the cross for us and his coming again, when he empowers his church, one of the things he wants his church to be involved in is eradicating poverty. He does not desire that anyone lives in poverty. Poverty. In fact, God created laws and practices to reduce poverty among his people. And he did this very, very early on. And I want to look at some of these practices that he set up. First of all, he put forth initiatives to help people out of poverty. Back in Leviticus, as the people of God were gathering and God gave them the law of how they were to live, right away he put in practices that they should practice the ways that they should live their lives that would help people and assist people who are in poverty and and not just bring relief but bring restoration to get them out of that place second of all he set up a tithing system to ensure food for the vulnerable in Deuteronomy 26 this is where the idea of giving a tenth of your income to the church uh, was inaugurated and started God said give a tithe give a tenth of your income first to the Levites that was the church of the day and then he talks about giving to the widow and giving to the those who are orphaned and he goes on to say that there would be this giving to ensure that the uh, those who are vulnerable will be taken care of Throughout the law, as he set up uh, this, the people of God, he put in act, action uh, practices of generosity. He constantly had teachings about generosity in the law, that his people should be a generous people. Not a people who would live for themselves, but a people who would uh, live generously in whatever world or place they find themselves. Also, we see in Exodus 22 the practice of no-interest loans to help people get free from debt and get out of poverty. And then the overarching thing I want us to look at is in terms of how God views poverty is this whole idea that God is angered at the injustice of poor people being exploited or taken advantage of. I tell you what, the hardest part of putting together this sermon was to find which verse to land on, where it talks about God's heart, especially in taking up the cause of those who are impoverished, taking up the cause of those who are disadvantaged. The Bible is full. I mean, there's over 20 that I could have landed on right away that describes God's heart and his anger at the injustice of poor people being ignored or poor people being taken advantage of. And I want to look at some of those verses. I'm just going to give you four right here that you can write down. You don't feel, don't feel like you have to turn in your scriptures to all these. I'll just read them to you. Um, but I want to look at these because it paints a picture of God's heart in this particular uh, injustice of poverty. Proverbs 31, 8-9 says this. 
Speak up for those who have no voice, for the justice of all who are disposed. Speak up, judge righteously, and defend the cause of the poor and needy. Proverbs 22, 22, and 23. Don't rob a poor person because they are poor, and don't crush the oppressed at the city gate, for the Lord will champion their cause and will plunder those who plunder them. Proverbs 14, 31. The one who oppresses a poor person insults their maker, God, who created them in his image, but the one who is kind to the needy honors him. When you are kind to the needy, you honor God. You worship God by expressing kindness to those who are in need. Psalm 140, 12. I know that the Lord upholds the cause of the poor and the justice for the needy. God's heart is always bent towards the least and the lost and the lonely. His heart is always bent towards the least and the lost and the lonely. In Exodus 15, verse 3, it calls God a warrior. It says God is a warrior. And I believe one of the areas where God expresses that part of his heart That warrior part of the heart of God is when he takes up the cause for the poor and the needy. When you see these verses and you see this picture of a defender for the poor, an advocate for the poor, one who will take up the poor's cause, that's our God. And God paints himself uh, throughout the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament, as the one who will stand and defend and begin to try to eradicate the plights of the poor and the needy. And he calls us, his church, to step into that mission. He calls us, his church, to do something about it. It's not enough just to have the knowledge. We have to have action. The World Bank, back in 2004, came up with a definition of poverty. And if you think about the World Bank coming up with a definition of poverty, I don't know about you, but I picture like 50 pages of all sorts of scientific technical stats, but they made it very, very untechnical. They made it very, very personal. This is what they said. This is the World Bank's definition of poverty. Poverty is hunger. Poverty is lack of shelter. Poverty is being sick and not able to see a doctor or get medicine. Poverty is not having access to school and not knowing how to read. Poverty is not having a way to bring income to survive. Poverty is fear of the future, living one moment at a time. Poverty is losing a child to illness brought about by lack of clean water. Poverty is powerlessness, lack of representation, and a lack of freedom. as their definition. And then they went on to point to a study that was done by those who were living in desperate conditions, desperate poverty. And it was done in this country of Niger where they found the most impoverished people they could and they did this survey. And so what the results of this study was is they wanted to find out how the poor would describe poverty. What were the things that came to their mind when they were when the word poverty was brought up. So they found the most impoverished people on the planet, and they did this study, and here's what they said. The very first thing they said is, poverty is a dependence. Now, in the 
church, it's, we talk a lot about dependence on God, and that's a good thing. And then that's reality for them. That's all they have is a dependence on God. But they also, what they meant by this was a reliance on other human beings to survive. They said you get weary of seeking out others, but in desperation you have no choice. You don't have any options. Number two, they said it's marginalized. The words they used were alone, no support, not involved, not accepted. Number three, scarcity. Nothing to eat, nothing to sell. Now, if you look at this, you would think that if you go to the poor and ask them to describe poverty, the first one would have been number three. The fact that we don't have any food, the fact that there's nothing to eat, the fact that we don't have any way to live. But it's interesting to me that dependence and marginalized, that oppression was listed first, even before the reality of the scarcity. And finally, they talk about restricted freedoms. They talk about how they don't have the right to speak out. They talk about how when someone does an injustice against them, they don't have any course of action because no one will believe them. No one will take up their cause because of the condition that they are in. They never win a case against an injustice to themselves. So this is God's heart. God is drawn to people in these situations. God is, longs to see relief, restoration, and rehabilitation happen in these places. God longs for his church to be on a mission to eradicate global poverty before he returns. That's what he would love to see his church do, to be involved, to engage this issue. So that's his heart. So what is the church going to do about it? What would be the actions? God cares deeply for the marginalized, and I think we first, before we start listing out the practical things that we can do. I think we have to be honest about something. That I think for many of us, when we hear about poverty and those impoverished, especially in our local area, the first thing that comes to our minds for many of us, not all of us, but for many of us is, well, they got themselves in that mess. They can get themselves out. What they did was self-inflicted. And I think we have to be very, very careful of that kind of statement and judgment. Because you can miss the heart of God in that kind of world, in that kind of statement, in that kind of thinking. Most of the time, especially when you look at a global front, it was not of their own doing. They were trapped, or even if it was their own doing, they can't get out at that point. And so there's an injustice of how you get out of that place that you've been ensnared to. And we need to be very, very careful before we write off people who are impoverished because we want to blame something they did to get to that place to get us off the hook. If you approach it from that point of view, you are going to do a lot of damage to your own soul. You can do an awful lot of soul damage and put your soul at risk if you say, I'm just going to write off the poor because they should have been better off to not get themselves in that place in the first uh, place. And even if some of it is self-inflicted, I would ask this question. How would God, who is rich in mercy and grace, want his people to respond to the least and the lost and the lonely? Even if it was self-inflicted, how would he want his people 
to respond to the people that put them in bad situations in their own doing. And if you look at that question, it kind of, if you know anything about what this Bible says about why Jesus came, it kind of makes you chuckle because the fact is God is the one who came to a human race that rebelled and rejected him, that found themselves separated from a holy God because of their human nature, but also because of the fact that every single one of them missed the mark of what God's perfect plan was. And in that place, when you had this human race that missed the mark, probably all of us could say intentionally, God, who is rich in mercy and grace, came to that rebellious human race, went to a cross to die for their sins so that they could be free from the penalty of sin, which was justly putting them in eternal conscious punishment for sinning against a holy God. And when Jesus saw that situation, when God the Father, God the Spirit, God the Son saw that situation, they didn't sit back and say, well, they got themselves into that. They can get themselves out and go ahead and burn. They did something. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. You see, God's heart is to go to those who screw up so bad that they get themselves in that own situation. So even if we're going to say this poverty thing was something they did, how would God, who did that for us on an eternal scale, expect us to react to those who are in need? There's a preacher in our denomination, a pastor who has a church down in Arlington Heights, Illinois, named Colin Smith. Colin Smith, some of you may have heard of him. He has uh, a radio program called Unlocking the Bible, and uh, he's a phenomenal Bible teacher, and he has a, a church in Arlington Heights, Illinois, with lots of different campuses around Chicagoland. And his son uh, decided that he was called to be an attorney to practice law. And so he went to college, and he went to law school, and as he was finishing up law school, uh, Colin Smith started asking his son, so what type of law do you want to practice? Do you want to go into corporate law? Do you want to go into uh, a defense? Do you want to be a defense attorney? Do you want to be a prosecutor? What kind of law are you looking at here? And his son surprised his dad when he said, I want to be a public defender. And his dad said, really? You want to be a public defender? He said, yeah, I want to defend those that can't afford or don't want to put money towards an attorney. And Colin Smith said in his shame, he kind of said to his son, well, you know that the majority of the people that you'd be defending are guilty. And he said, Dad, but someone has to stand with the guilty. That's what Jesus did. Jesus stands with the guilty. That's the heart of God, to come into that place and say, the love of God is so strong, so boundless, so wide, so deep, that you're never, ever beyond it, even when everything you do is self-inflicted. The love of God is there, representing. And out of that heart, God wants his church to get involved with compassion and care through all the injustices, especially this one when it comes to poverty. In a moment, we're going to see a video, and on that video, for some of you, you'll see a familiar face, and that familiar face is Richmond Wandira. 
Some of you remember Richmond. Richmond's a dear friend of Crossview Church. He's been here a few times, and he's taught and preached here. But Richmond's story is pretty amazing. He grew up in an extremely impoverished area of Uganda, one of the most impoverished slums of that area. And his mom witnessed her husband being murdered right in front of her eyes. He was just faced with injustice after injustice after injustice. And one of the stories I love that Richmond is so uh, great at telling, and he can tell it just off the top of his head, is when he found out that Compassion International stepped in and he had a sponsor. What do I mean by that? One of the ways that Compassion International works is that you sponsor children. For $38 a month, you can provide education, food, health care, a new start, Exposure to the gospel of Jesus Christ for a child that's impoverished around the world. You can do that as a gift. You can set somebody free. You can literally change not a life, but as I'm going to show you, there's a potential you can change a whole nation by sponsoring a child at $38 a month. And it's one of the most, uh, it's one of the most organizations that has the utmost integrity of how they handle these things. But Richmond says that he heard about all these kids becoming sponsors with Compassion International. He wondered, maybe one day I'll get a sponsorship. Maybe one day someone will sponsor me. And as he is walking home and he's going down, uh, walking through this slum, he looked up at his house. And he said the minute he saw this house, which was kind of basically a, a shed that was made of tin and wood and cloth, he watched his mom hop out of this shed and start dancing and singing really, really, really loud. And he says he looked like an only Richmond can. He got all excited. He said, I looked and I said, that is good news. And he said, we don't have good news around here. And so he ran up there and he asked his mom, what is this good news? And his mom told him, you have a sponsor. Somebody is going to sponsor you. And it was a 16-year-old girl who was at a youth conference where Compassion International was there. And she said, I'm going to do whatever I can to scrape together $38 a month, whether it's babysitting or chores or whatever I got to do to make a difference in someone's life. I mean, $38 a month. I mean, think about it. I know things are hard at times. I know there's a lot of you here who battle with making ends meet. And I I hear you. I, I know that. But when you think about $38 a month, there's a lot that we can change in our lifestyle to free up $38 a month. I mean, if you go from cable TV to streaming, that doubles $38 a month. You can make decisions that can change a life powerfully. And I think there's no better tool that God has given the church in the United States of America to help make a difference in poverty than Compassion International sponsorship. It changes a life. So what do we do? How do we get involved? Well, because it's Compassion Sunday, I'm going to encourage you to get a compassion child. And a lot of you here across your church have done that. That's awesome. If you sponsor a child, I would encourage you to keep engaging with that child. Keep writing them. Keep telling them how special they are to God. Keep telling them how loved they are. If you have never done that, would you consider doing that today? What could you do to free up $38 a month of income to make a difference in someone's life. That would be a powerful thing for you to think about. Secondly, you can get involved by giving to our year-end gift. 
Our year-end gift is the Mercy Fund, where we are looking at uh, initiatives of how to make a difference in our local community, to fight the injustices that are taking place. A lot of times, poverty is tied to other things like addictions and all these different things. And so we want to do things that bring the kingdom of God to our city that can help release that. And that's what the Mercy Fund's all about. So you can make a contribution to the year-end gift. Maybe you're saying $38 a month isn't something I can do right now, or I already have a compassion child. That's another option. Finally, maybe it's not giving money, but it's giving your time. If you go to our website at crossurapids.org, you'll see all the local organizations that we're partnered with that can use volunteer help to make a difference in this community. And so I'd encourage you to be the church of Jesus Christ and go to those places to bring his heart for the least and the lost of the lonely there. I want to look at a verse that kind of sums this whole thing up. It's from 1 John chapter 5. Three and four, it says, For this is what love for God is, to keep his commands. And his commands are not a burden, because everyone who's been born of God conquers the world. This is the victory that has conquered the world. What is it? Our faith. What this is saying is that the power to conquer the injustices that we see in our world that we talk about have a power source, and the power source is faith in Jesus Christ. What that means is that you have come to a place as an individual where you say, I recognize that I'm a sinner. I recognize that I need the life of Christ living within me. So God, I repent of my sin. I turn to you and I ask you to and invite you into my life that I would be made new. It's how you become a Christian. It's how you become a follower of Jesus Christ. You repent and you believe. And that believe is that faith this is talking about. So what this is saying is as we put our faith in Jesus Christ, not only does he give us new life, not only does he forgive us our sin, not only are we justified and now he takes the residence within us and empowers us, but also it's that faith that gives us power to go against the injustices of this world that we encounter. If we don't have faith in Jesus Christ, we are going to be powerless against things like poverty. And again, it's a joke to think you can encounter that without having the power of God behind you. That's what that verse is saying. So if that's true, which I believe it is, that means there's an injustice that's greater than all other injustices. That means there's an injustice that's beyond the injustices that we mentioned, at least in my humble opinion. And the injustice that's greater than all other injustices is when the church of Jesus Christ loses their awe and wonder about Jesus Christ himself. When the church of Jesus Christ loses their awe loses their wonder, loses what captivates their heart towards the person of Jesus himself, that's a huge injustice. When we're not seeing Jesus for the way he truly is because we're caught up in so many other things that it blinds us from his heart, it blinds us from his causes because we are so caught up. And the tragedy is the world that you and I live in today is full of things that can distract us and cause us to lose our awe of Jesus Christ. 
The digital world alone battles and wars against the awe of Jesus Christ. When we lose our awe of Jesus as a church, we are like salt without any saltiness. Good for nothing to be tossed into the heap. When we lose our awe for Jesus Christ as a church, not only do we pull back from the only source of life and forgiveness and mercy and grace and love, but we also retreat into our own selfish worlds. We retreat into our own pleasures, our own comfort zones, not to push out of our comfort zones because we like just to be here. See, when you lose the awe and wonder of who Jesus Christ is and what he has done, the automatic result is that you pull back and isolate into your own comfort zone of your own world. And you don't break out into the things that capture the heart of God and break his heart. There's no risk for the least and the lost and the lonely when you lose the awe of Jesus Christ. There's no sacrifice for the least and the lost and the lonely when you lose the awe of Jesus Christ. I tell you what, a 16-year-old girl who saw the Compassion International sponsorship and said, I'm going to do all I can to make sure I make a difference there, she was captivated by something. She was captivated by the awe and the wonder and the love that God the Father has for people who are created in his image, who are trapped in bondage, fueled by the power and the presence of Jesus Christ our Lord. One of my hopes this morning, bigger than all the giving you can do, bigger than all the giving of time and money, is if you sense in your heart a drift where you're losing the awe and wonder of who Jesus Christ is, that you go before him right now and say, Jesus, I need you. I need you. Would you reawaken in my soul the awe and the wonder that perhaps draw me close to you in the first place? That I may see you as you truly are, not as I think and imagine, but as you truly, truly are. Would you leap off this book and awaken my heart with who you are? And will you transfer what's in your heart to my heart? You see, when the church of Christ does that, the church of Christ is unstoppable. What does that look like? Take a look at this video and I'll be right back. It was lunchtime, and my father was praying for the lunch that we were about to eat. But there was only one problem. Our table was empty. My earliest recollections is finding myself at the age of five, roaming the streets, eating from dumpsters. We were not able to have food at all, at all. We were forced to live with 17 of our other relatives in a very small shanty. No toilets. A lot of crime. No running water. There's a lot of rape for children. If you want to be out of poverty, then you have to deal with drugs. Some of my friends were actually sold into prostitution. And as darkness engulfs the place, the devil takes over. 
One morning, I just woke up that, you know, my uncle is just touching me in some parts of my body that I just thought to myself that this can't be happening. My father was murdered right next to my mother. And I knew that moment that my life had changed. I watched as my 10-month-old sister died in the laps of my mother out of starvation. My relatives always tell me, Michelle, you are so ugly. You look exactly like your father. You will become nothing but a thief and a drug addict when you grow up. And those were the words that I heard from people whom I expected to love and take care of me. Poverty had told me I am hopeless, I am nothing, and I believed that. But right in the middle of this desperation, it was then that compassion intervened. One Sunday morning, my Aunt Carol, she registered me in that compassion project. What joy and dancing came to my home at the news that I'd finally got a sponsor. I received my first letter. We wrote back and forth. They told me, you're my first friend outside my continent. She said words like, Richmond, I love you. And that lightened me up. My sponsor told me that, Michelle, you are beautiful. You are precious to us. We are proud of you and we are praying for you and we love you. And the words touched the very depth of my heart and soul. Eighteen years later, here I am, a child rescued from hopelessness. She was 15 years old. Her name is Ashley. Her name was Heather. I called her mom. One act saved my life. Saved my life. Will you act? The choice is yours. Sponsor a child through compassion today. Release a child from poverty. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. God is calling his church to step into hopelessness and to step into desperation and to step into places where there is no hope other than Jesus Christ. And that's what he's empowered us to do. And that's where he promises to be. And we need to take the opportunity to bring this kingdom agenda to those places. Let's pray. Father in heaven, would you forgive us for the places in our lives where we've lost awe of your son, Jesus. And in doing so, we've lost awe of the things that matter to your heart, the things that break your heart. And so, God, would you meet us in that place? Forgive us for our sin. And God, would you reawaken within us and give us the grace and the strength and the power we're going to need to transform that part of our life to be people who are captivated and passionate about your son, Jesus Christ. And in doing so, would be 
people who are captivated and passionate about the things that are on your heart in the world that you've placed us. And so, God, we ask that you'd move among us, that you'd give us what we need to be the church that's unstoppable, to be the church that is not content sitting back in our own comfort zones, but will be the church who will enter into risk and sacrifice for the least and the lost and the lonely. The time we have is short. Lord, let us use it well. And so we ask and beg for your help to do that. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I invite you now, church, to stand and receive the benediction as we close our service. May our God, who is the defender of the weak, may our God, who is the warrior for those who are caught up in injustice, empower us, his church, with mercy, love, strength, to be laser-focused on his passions, Christ and the world. May he do this with power and grace and strength within our lives. In the name of the Father and the Son and Holy Spirit, have an amazing week.